Do we really know the vast difference between God and us? Let us all ask ourselves, when was the last time I could honestly say, God has taken my breath away? It is a blessing to experience the awesome perfection of the Lord. And it is doubly good to experience God's perfection in contrast to our own sin and our own unhealthy practices. We could biblically call them iniquity. Think of the most spectacular example that you have ever seen of God's creation. Start with the things that are on earth. I'll admit, for me, it would be Yosemite Valley that literally took my breath away. It could be anything on this earth, even something you might have seen as small as something in a microscope. Or think of the vast heavens. Think of the sky. Is there anything you have seen there that has just put you in awe of the creator and his creation, maybe even in a telescope? Well, whatever it is that we have in our mind, it is a one on a scale of one to a hundred. And remember, God's not a hundred. He's infinite. Now, I was reading my daily for each day of the year, four times a day Bible reading Friday morning before I wrote this sermon. And if you go home and look it up, Psalm 76.4 in the RSV describes all I said perfectly. Now, in today's passages, both the prophet Isaiah and the apostle Peter, they have an encounter with the Lord in just such an overwhelmingly amazing way. Isaiah expresses woe because of the threefold holiness of the covenant God in contrast to his own unclean lips, his unclean speech. And Peter falls at the knees of the Lord Jesus after he and his companions, his two fishing buddies, had a catch of fish at the most unlikely time of day, and not just any old catch, the biggest catch they had ever had, all because um, Peter decided that he would obey a humanly illogical command from Jesus. Now, as both of these men were just humbled by the contrast between them and God, the result of this humility was that each man being brought low by this contrast between God and himself, he was now graciously commissioned by the Lord and sent out to people. Isaiah had a general sending, 
But we'll get to it in more detail later. Peter was specifically told, and this may be new to you all, that he was going to catch men alive or to life, meaning he would bring to them the good news that we can have life in Jesus. As John's gospel says, life that is eternal, that is abundant, and that is fruitful. And it's all in the three-in-one God. So now let's look at each of their stories. Let's start with Isaiah. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the throne with fiery angels calling out the threefold holiness of God. And he confesses his unclean lips. That's a quick summary. It begins when he says that uh, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne with fire angels calling out the threefold holiness of God. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I skipped the main, main thing, which is that he sees him, confesses his uncleanness, and then being cleansed, he's forgiven and sent. Okay, let's look at it line by line. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on the throne, highly exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, now notice, this is Lord, lowercase, O-R-D. That means that's Udonai. This is not Yahweh, the three-in-one covenant God. Okay, this is Jesus. If you remember in the Gospels, and I gave you the reference in Matthew... Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, or they're arguing with him, and, and, and he's enlightening them. And he says, how come David called his son Lord? And then he applies Psalm 110 to himself. The Lord Yahweh said to my Lord Adonai, Jesus calls himself Adonai. So what's going on here? Isaiah is actually seeing the pre-incarnate Jesus in the temple. Now, I had to look this up. I should have known this. I'm I'm, kind of slow. But it talks about the train. The NIV says the train of his robe. I guess all royalty, monarchs, kings, their robe, there's a long piece of cloth behind it. And the longer the cloth, the more power that the king has. So this is the king of kings in the temple, okay? I'm a number nerd. I'm sorry I can't help myself. Bear with me. The holy of holies was a 30-foot cube. So this train would have been 30 feet wide. Now, how long was it? Well, it said it filled the temple, but... You remember there's the throne and then there's all these seraphs flying above the throne. So I said, let's say it only stacked up for 15 feet. And let's say it was so thick it went back and forth six times per foot. Well, do the arithmetic. And this is a train 2,700 feet long. Of course, even that's not long enough for God. One more fact, Uzziah died in 740 B.C. Continuing on with Isaiah's account, seraphs 
stood above him calling, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the threshold of the door to the holy of holies shook. And his voice, at his voice, the voice of the Lord, the temple was filled with smoke. So let's go through some of the important things. I don't know if you know this or not, but the word seraph means fire or fiery. So these were fiery angels. These are the angels that surround God's throne and they worship him and they just glow with fire. Now, if your Bible says Im, that's because that's Hebrew. They didn't translate seraphim from Hebrew. But if we put it in English, we're talking about fiery angels, plural. Okay? And now they're talking holy, 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 this threefold holiness of Yahweh of hosts. Now, host is the host of the vast army of heaven. It is pointing to one God and three persons. Okay. And he's over the army of angels. And I believe these angels are cherub angels. Cherub angels were more servants of God and pertaining more to the earth. If you remember in Genesis, after Adam and Eve were expelled, God put two cherubim at the tree of life with fiery swords to protect the tree of life so Adam and Eve couldn't go back there. And and there's a powerful description of what cherubim do in Ezekiel when he sees that sphere and the Lord is actually in it, there's cherubim holding up God's throne. They were the physical spiritual animals who did, animals, angels, forgive me, angels who uh, did God's work. Now, the power and the awesomeness of the three-in-one God is shown by his very voice as he begins to speak is shaking the threshold of the door of the Holy Holies. It's like there's an earthquake going on. And then glory, as opposed to holiness, glory means weighty and heavy, or full of splendor. Again, every word is adding to the awesomeness of what Isaiah saw. And then it says smoke filled the temple. Now where there's smoke, there is fire. Fire is present. And remember this, our God is a consuming fire. You may remember it from Hebrews But it's actually a quote of Deuteronomy. Remember what I said. Everything important flows through Deuteronomy. God is a consuming fire. So taking this in and experiencing this, Isaiah responds by saying, Woe to me, because I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. He's exclaiming, whoa, because he knows his garbage mouth. I'm putting in slang what the Bible says about unclean lips. He knows that will cause him to be separated or cut off from God 
Now, when he talks about living among a people like this, remember, God always calls his prophets out of his people. And people are people. So he has this flaw because the people around him, his peers have this flaw. But he says, notice this. It's really bad because I have seen the king. By this vision now, he has fully experienced the covenant God who is the commander of his army of angels. So as we come to the conclusion of the first part of this passage in Isaiah and what he experienced, in conclusion, notice the stark contrast between the glory of the holy God and the sin of the prophet and God's people. Okay, that's well and good. That's 2,700 years ago. We might be getting comfortable. But let's consider this. May we now be challenged to live in constant awareness of the awesome holiness, perfection, glory, and creative power of God. And why? Because this is reality. God's holiness and our sin. But thank God he does not leave Isaiah there. The second half, a fiery angel touches his lips with an altar coal, pronouncing his iniquity is removed and forgiving his sin. The Lord then sends him. So line by line, we're told one seraph flew to me, Isaiah says, in his hand, a glowing coal taken from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been removed and your sin is covered over. Once again, glowing coal and fire. God uses fire for cleansing. In numbers, after they had defeated the nations east of the Jordan River, God said, you may take all of their precious metals, but first, you must refine them with fire. Now, just two chapters before this, God had spoken a prophecy to Isaiah, and he said, with my fire, I promise that I will cleanse the remnant of my people. And then later in the minor prophets, around 450 BC, Zechariah said the same thing. God cleanses his remnant with fire. So he touches Isaiah's mouth with the flaming coal. And what is the result? This is beautiful. Isaiah's iniquity is removed and his sin is covered over. Now, covered over is Kippur. Remember Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And if you look in Leviticus, there was always uh, an offering by fire on this day. So it all pulls together. Now, remember, we now know the ultimate covering of sin is because Adonai, Jesus, died on the cross. 
So we can sum up to this point the forgiveness and the cleansing that God provides. God sent this seraph to cover over Isaiah's sin. It's nothing but a gift of grace. And we also know he sent his son as the gift of grace to cover over the sins of all who will follow him in obedient faith. So let us take great comfort in this truth. The Lord Jesus Christ resolves the problem of God's holiness and our sin. Then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom will I send and who will go for us? And then he said, See me, send me. So, over 700 years before the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and commissioned his disciples to go to the ends of the earth for him, he is seeking someone to go for him. He never changes. Now, he questions as to whom should he send and who will go for us. Perhaps another Trinity illusion. And Isaiah responds with a request that he be considered for the task. I love this. See me. Send me. Now that Isaiah has finally been cleansed by the Lord, he's qualified and ready to go wherever he is sent. When God sends, we will go. Now, coming forward to the story about Peter in Luke's gospel, after Jesus gave Peter and his partners a miraculous catch or haul of fish, he confesses his sin, and then Jesus tells him his mission. So first of all, and this is so similar to what happened to Isaiah, only instead of seraphs and all that was in the temple, this was in real life in their vocation. Peter and his partners catch enough fish in daylight to almost sink their boats. And because of this, Peter falls before the Lord, begging him to leave because he's a sinful man. So again, line by line, having done what Jesus commanded and catching a great multitude of fish and the nets were beginning to break. Now let's get the context. Let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. When Jesus commanded them to return to the deep water and let down their nets for a catch, he had already taught the people into late morning for a long, long time. So now it's almost noon. And every experienced fisherman on Galilee knows that in broad daylight, schools of fish can see a net, and they will turn away from it. It's a fool's errand to let down the net. But, and this is what's so beautiful, Peter says, Master, at your word, 
I will let down the nets. And surprise, a great multitude of fish was captured because you see, God does know more than men. They caught so many fish. The nets were beginning to break as they were trying to haul them into the boats. And so he makes a sign to his partners, James and John, in the other boat, come help me. And they filled up the boats and they were so heavy they were going to sink. Two ships full of fish. This was a catch of miraculous size. It had never happened before and it's good. That is if they can get them to shore. And they did. Now it says, having seen this, Simon Peter, which means the hearing rock, Simon Peter says to Jesus as he falls at his knees. So I imagine he went down on his knees and his head was now at the level of Jesus' knees. He says, go away because I am a sinful man, Lord. Now, because Jesus is Lord, he has much greater knowledge than the most knowledgeable of people. So what had happened was they had had this miraculous encounter with God. And now Peter, knowing for sure he's in the presence of the holy God, he confesses he is a sinner So in fear, fear of what will happen to him for being punished, for being a sinner, he requests that the Lord just go away, go away. And why does he say this? Because he realizes God's holiness and our sin. And we're told because wonder surrounded him and all that were with him at the catch of fish they had taken Wonder. They were amazed and astonished. Okay, that was 2,000 years ago. What about us? When was the last time we were amazed and astonished like this? When was the last time something like this happened to us? So we're told about the inner three, Peter, James, and John. But now we get to the heart of the matter and the conclusion of everything. With a command and a promise Jesus forgives Peter and then gives him a mission and they all follow Jesus. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now, men thou will catch alive. So Peter is commanded not to fear his sinful state. How can this be? Well, Jesus knows it will not undo him because Jesus will become the covering of his sin and the sin for all who live in obedient faith of him. And, you know, Peter learned this lesson. This came to me this week. I looked it up and it fits. He wrote this to God's scattered people. Above all, be having constant Love among yourselves, the love of God, because love is a covering of multitude of sins. And we go right back to what Isaiah in the covering, in the Kippur offering. 
We are to love with God's sacrificial love because of his sacrifice of love that covered our sins. And then Jesus makes a promise. Peter will be catching men alive. And this is what blew my mind. Many years ago when I was studying this to preach upon it, the word for catch is prefixed by the Greek prefix zao, which means life or to live. Now, this is really cool if you think about it, because fishermen catch fish for nutrition for people. The fish die, they're killed, and they're eaten, and they're consumed. But they will be catching Peter and the other disciples. They will be catching people into life, life that is eternal, abundant, and ultimately fruitful. John's Gospel, chapters 3, 10, and 15. And then we're told, having pulled their overflowing with fish boats finally up on the land and having left everything. I wonder who got to enjoy all of that fish with a little fish barbecue later on. But anyway, they left it and they followed him. This is a radical turning point in their lives. But now knowing that their sins are forgiven, especially Peter, and that they are covered over, they all answer the call of God to catch people to life. And that call now is for all of us. And when God calls, we will go. Let me just quickly summarize these stories. When Isaiah sees the Lord sitting in the temple and hears of the threefold holy perfection of the covenant God, he's undone by his unclean lips. Then a fiery angel cleanses him from the altar and his iniquity is removed and he answers the Lord's call to be sent. Whom will I send? Send me. See me, send me. Similarly, after Jesus provides an awesome catch of fish, after Peter obeyed his command to do what experienced fishermen know is a waste of time, he falls at Jesus' knees, begging him to leave him because he's sinful. You see that in both cases, the contrast, God's awesomeness, our sinfulness is felt. But Jesus commands Peter not to fear. Your sins are covered. And he promises Peter that man he will catch alive, that all of his disciples will be man catchers to life. And this finally in Jesus is the grace that reconciles God's holiness and our sinfulness.